Welcome to Mads Fans for Life Podcast. I am your host, Landon Thomas. We have two guests, Ian Kayanja and Shanavaz Makani. We have a great episode, a lot to cover, but not as many topics. Uh, we have draft pick Jaden Hardy. Um, the Mavs acquired him uh, with the Sacramento Kings. He was selected 37th overall. The trade was for exchange of two future um, second round picks. And then we got Jalen Brunson. Free agency is in a few days and there's a lot of reports going on. He's going to leave or he's going to stay, but we're going to dive into that right now. So guys, Ian, I'll start with you. Uh, Jaden Hardy, Jaden Hardy, he skipped the um, college route and he chose to join the G League Ignite. He was ranked number two in his class. Uh, he struggled um, this season shooting the ball and now he he joins the Dallas Mavericks and starts his NBA career. What do you think about the Mavericks um, trading into the draft and selecting Jaden Hardy? It tells me two things. Um, I mean, prior to the draft, Nico said that they wouldn't make a move to get back into the draft unless they really liked somebody. And seeing Hardy there here in the second round, it's one of those things where what's the worst that can happen? The guy either pans out or he doesn't. And so that was my initial thought process when you see uh, the, the Mavs trade into the second round to get him there at pick number 37. But I also am very skeptical. Um, I remember that night Mavs Twitter was exploding about how Nico Harrison is some wizard and picking up Hardy at pick number 37. Nico Harrison's the next Sam Presti, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And I, I want people to take a more measured approach. And I think that was my biggest pushback. I remember the text thread all of us were on that night when we were talking about this. My, my biggest pushback to the whole thing is that people let talent move, like gauge, like, oh my goodness, this guy has a lot of talent. He'll be great. And I'm of the volition that, yeah, Hardy has a lot of the physical tools. Like he's athletic, his jumper, his mechanics aren't broken. It's fluid. The percentages didn't look great. And if you start parsing through the numbers near the end of the year, he actually played really well, had a decent true shooting percentage. And he said it himself in the presser today that he chose to go to the G League because he felt that in the long run, playing against pros earlier would be more beneficial for him. And I believe that because um, he talked about how he learned how to be a pro in the G League this past year. But, and this is my big but, it's that the scope of the second round very few second round guys turn into role players or even very good players. We do know that some pan out and that, that it's a crapshoot in the second round. You you're taking flyers on guys. And so my thing is I just want people to relax their expectations for the kid and not be shocked that if he plays most of next year on, on the Texas legends, or if he doesn't really play that much or if it, he plays in, you know, two, three straight summer leagues over the next three seasons, is that the kid was sliding in the draft for a reason. And that's because teams don't like inefficient volume shooters. I don't like inefficient volume shooters. If he can figure that aspect out, if he can figure that aspect of his game out, I love him as, as in terms of just looking at his talent. But it could take three, four seasons before he becomes anything. And that was that's my whole big point about 
second round selections and that you just can't have expectations for them because you'll disappoint yourself because most of the time they don't pan out anyway. Sean of us, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, Ian makes a lot of great points. And, you know, we've talked about this over the last few days since the draft pick. Um, you know, second rounders, yeah, they're not supposed to be these guys who can step in and start right away or, or even be really effective players, you know, for a franchise within their first couple of years, like Ian said, right? But every now and then you get a Nicole Jokic, you get a Jalen Brunson, you get guys like that, that I'm not saying Harden, Hardy is either one of them, but you get guys that can be relatively, you know, important to the team and that can step in. You know, Ian alludes to Hardy, you know, his uh, his tear he was on relative to the beginning of the G League season last year. I mean, his last 12 games, he averaged 21 a game um, and shot 40% from the field and 34% from three. Not great percentage numbers, right? But I think as the season progressed and as he played with more professional players, he kind of got, kind of understood uh, you know, where his role was, you know, where his place was on the team, what he was supposed to do. Um, and then, you know, I, I just think with trading two second round picks, two late second round picks um, potentially for him, for a guy that was the number three prospect coming out of high school, you know, alongside Chet Holmgren and Shaden Sharp, um, you know, the talent is there, right? The question is, can he put in the work and can the coaching staff put in the work to, you know, build him up and, and make him a viable part of the team? this wasn't a deep draft by any means, right? There was, you know, you had your top five, six guys. I think that everybody was, was pretty, pretty much set on, but then you look, you know, down towards the end of the first round. I mean, nobody thought Jake Laravia was going to go first round. Christian Braun went first round. I mean, there's guys that were supposed to be second round picks that went higher. Um, so I think just based on team need and, and kind of what, you know, what fits, I mean, the Mavericks and, and Nico Harrison felt that Hardy is, is a guy that can come in and may not contribute right away, but it would not shock me if he, if he plays more than half the season with, with Dallas, um, you know, he shot almost 55% on uh, unguarded catch and shoot opportunities for the, uh, in his season with the G league last year. So that's, that's really when you're playing with a guy like Luca, what do we talk about? The five out system being ready to catch the ball and shoot, right? If that's what they're asking him to do, for a second round pick, this isn't a guy that, again, you're expecting to come in and take the reins and, and you know, full steam ahead with the offense. This is a guy that needs to fit his role uh, in the right way. And if he can learn to do that, I think he could be a really good fit. Yeah, I mean, both of y'all brought up some good points. The thing that I like about this scenario of the Mavericks trading and getting uh, Jaden Hardy at 37 is, honestly, this could be the best thing that has happened to him. I mean, your project, your second ranked player of 2021, you skip college, go to G League Ignite, and let's just let's just be honest. I mean, if you're the second ranked player in the in the entire class, you've you seen the class. The top ten included Chet, included Jabari, included great players, and then you get humbled. You see all these players that you competed against or you watched and you think that you're better than get called name after name. You're the only person in the room waiting to be called. You slip to the second round. And I think that's going to be something that will motivate him, bring a chip on his shoulder and, and hopefully bring something that we'll see here in a little bit at summer league. I think first impression is everything. He even said it. He said he knows that he has to start on the defensive end 
coming to the Dallas Mavericks before he can get to what he's used to is his offensive end of the court. And I think that's a strong case. I think the Mavs have a need for him. Obviously, we don't know if it's going to be this season, half the season, um, down in the legends improving or on the roster improving. It could be a couple seasons from now. But I think when you look at what he brings to the table, I think it's something that's needed on this team. He can drive either side. Um, the the space creation um, that he has, you need that. Um, and he, he's modeled his game after James Harden. Um, just being able to create um, your own shot is something that this team needs. And, I mean, we'll see. Like y'all said, second-round pick. I mean, let's see what he does. But, Ian, I think you're holding back in what you're saying because Shanavaz and I, we, we heard you countless of times. Your love for this pick, and I'm being sarcastic, love for this pick. Um, I, I think it's it's a – we'll see what happens. It could turn out really good or it, it could turn out bad. But, I mean, it's 37 overall for a projected top 25, you know, 15 to 25 pick in the draft. I was I was just going to add that I do I, I hesitate any time there are those high school rankings because you just never know who saw which game and how that influenced the rankings and and whatnot. And we know that with EYBL and all these travel teams now, kids are playing against each other a lot more than they used to. But it is it a thought that comes to my mind is how beneficial was it for him to actually go to the G League Ignite instead of going to a team that is playing on national TV at one of those power five schools, at least once a week. Um, that was somewhat the benefit of Paulo and Chet was Gonzaga and Duke were always on TV this year. And for the scouts and the GMs that don't travel as much, being on TV is a big thing. And they can try to say, Oh, like we pay attention to the G league showcase just as much, but with normative values and the way that, Oftentimes people fall into habits of we've always done it this way. Maybe there is a bit of that, oh, we'll go with the guy that played well in college versus the guy that turned it on near the end of his G League run because of the way that people differentiate between college basketball and the G League. And March Madness swoons a lot of owners and owners do play a part in the draft. If the owner loves somebody and he's one of those owners that likes to get their hands involved in things. That's, I mean, why do you think the Kings are the way they are? And those, those moments matter. And when you play in the G League, you don't necessarily get those moments where you get, you know, the March Madness game where you score 25 and carry your team or in Chet, Chet was one, he nearly had like a quadruple double or something like that when Gonzaga was playing in in the round of 32. And so those, those things matter. And GMs can try to say, we care about G League Ignite just as much, but at least from my perspective, I feel that, you know, sometimes the college kids get the benefit of the doubt. So I was just going to bring up an interesting point because I like looking at these weird stats. So there's a little bit of interesting history with the 37th pick. If you go back to like 97, um, guys like Eddie House, uh, my boy Royal Ivy, uh, Josh McRoberts, and then more recently, Rashawn Holmes. And the last time the Kings had the 37th pick was Gary Trent Jr., who has been a, a fantastic player for, for Toronto. Um, and even in Portland, it was a great player. So maybe it's just King's bad luck. You know, they passed on Luca. Maybe they pass on Jaden Hardy and that bodes well in our favor as well. 
Man, that has to be tough being a, a Kings fan. Just watch it. <laughs> and they pass on Jaden Ivey and go with Keegan Murray. Season which... after season. I mean, wow. And, and I was looking at just on some of the draft picks that they had and then the player after them, just like for that. And then Clay Thompson was next. Thomas Robinson and then Dame Lillard was mm-hmm. next. And uh, I mean, Marvin Bagley and then Luca was next. And just like you said, I mean, obviously, I hope Keegan um, is good for the Kings, but who's who's next is a player I really love, Jaden yeah. Ivey. I mean, I hope he is awesome for the Pistons. Um, that's a, that's going to be a really good team in like a couple of years. Detroit is going to be a very very good team. Okay, so we got the main event of this podcast right now, Jalen Brunson. I mean. Who would have thought last season the man pl- um, started, what, 12 games? And now he's the talk of the summer. Everyone is talking about Jalen Brunson. I- I'm still shocked. I'm still surprised. I'm a Jalen Brunson guy. I- I'm a big fan of his, um, just the efficiency and what he does for his size. But I would never have thought he would be the the number one person that all the national media are talking about where he is he going but we are talking about where is he going shauna vaz i'll start with you so the reports that we've heard so far is all over the place i mean a few days ago we heard done deal to mavericks and then now we're hearing done deal to knicks i mean every day it seems like there's a rumor but just outside of the rumors if you're Jalen Brunson and you have the option of, you know, family, family, friends, you, you, you get good money. Um, you be a lead guard. You get out of the Luca's shadow versus a Western conference run. And you're playing with a top five player. Is that something what do you what goes through your mind between those two options that you're thinking with the Mavs and Knicks? Yeah, and that's I mean, that's really, you know, the, the kind of the sticking point, right? For Jalen Brunson, it's, you know, do I want to be the number two, potentially number three guy, depending on, hey, you know, Tim Hardaway is coming back. We've got Dinwiddie now. What other moves are the Mavericks going to make? Wood. So Christian Wood, especially. Do I want to be the number two, number three guy? on this team or do I want to go to you know the the glamour of the garden right be the point guard savior in New York that they haven't had since Stefan Marbury you know my godfather is is the GM my dad is the assistant coach you know it's kind of you know it it's a no brainer for him i think when you think about all the benefits of of him going to New York. if 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 he signs with the Knicks and the Knicks and he averages 15 a game he's a savior for that city right because they haven't had a decent point guard in god knows how long you know they've been through the ringer the last seems like 20 years with with shuffling in and out you know various point guards and so for brunson it's kind of the opportunity yeah to be the lead guard i mean i think i think it's difficult to play alongside a guy like luca and it takes a i think it takes a a a very specific type and a very specific mind to do that and i i thought jalen brunson was you know, not necessarily the perfect fit, but I thought he aligned really, really well. And I, 
you know, I know we've talked about this. I feel that Jalen Brunson probably is best suited as like a sixth man off the bench, right? But if you're going to start him, you know, he clearly showed that he's worth money. Is he worth 25, 27, $30 million a year based off of what a playoff series against Utah? You know, the, like you said, I mean, we went from a guy who started 12 games last year to this year was not even starting and only was inserted into the lineup because of the, the foot injury to Tim Hardaway Jr. midway through the year. So if, if that never happens, are we even sitting here, you know, having this conversation? I mean, that's, you know, the Knicks are are pushing really all their chips into the pile saying, all right, we're going to pair Jalen Brunson with RJ Barrett with Julius Randle and figure it out and hope it works. And, and, you know, other reports are that they're not done. They want to go out and get, make other moves, you know, and that, that's great for Jalen, get your bag, right. You, you deserved it. You earned, you know, you earned it obviously, but you really have to think about the situation you're going to a, a franchise that's been broken for, you know, for a quarter of a century, essentially. Uh, and a situation where your dad and your godfather may not be there much longer, considering how bad the Knicks have been the last few years. Yes, save a playoff appearance two years ago. But if things don't look up, I, that entire front office and coaching staff is gone. So he's, there's a lot of risks going to New York. But, hey, they need a point guard. If he puts up 15 a game, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to cheer him on and build a statue outside of Madison Square Garden for him. You know, what's your thoughts on two reported teams obviously there could be more teams because he, he is talented but uh what's your thought on the two options uh for Jalen Brunson so bear with me all right oh. I immediately I, oh <laughs> you start like that <laughs> no but I've been thinking a lot about the Jalen Brunson situation and what it's similar to in sports and and I find it very similar to, do you guys remember when Dak Prescott was in a contract year mm-hmm. and Dak was in this system where Dak is a fine quarterback? Like he, he's better than most of the league's other quarterbacks. But he was also in a favorable situation where he had a good old line, a good running game, uh, kind of iffy offensive coordinator at times, but that's neither here nor there. But nonetheless, Dak made the most of the opportunity he was given and he earned his money. And in that situation, the Cowboys elected to pay him, kind of locking themselves into that middling range of we go as Dak goes. When Dak's really good, we look like Super Bowl contenders. But when Dak's fairly average, it is what it is. Um, And what has that gotten the Cowboys really in terms of, you know, success? And I kind of liken the Jalen Brunson situation to that, Um, except in this case, the reports are indicating that the Mavs aren't going to pay him. And yes, Luca is kind of the difference maker in this. Like the Cowboys didn't have a Luca-esque type of guy. You mean Um, Ezekiel Elliott is not the Luca Doncic of the Cowboys? (laughs) Maybe his first two years of the league, but (laughs) (laughs) since then it has, it's been ugly, but nonetheless, Jalen Brunson in this situation is the player that's very good when all the circumstances fit perfectly. And this is what intrigues me is that New York seems to be missing that. And that if a team is willing to, and I believe that, you know, the Mavs, if all ends came to meet, they'd want to bring Brunson back. But I also think the Mavs see it as we also don't want to lock ourselves into this high tax bill for a team that isn't 
dramatically different whether he's there or not. Because there's a lot of guards in the league. The, the league is guard heavy. And you can find guys that can make up for Brunson's production for mid-level exception or the minimum deals where you kind of fill out those roster spots and you can piece together his 16 points per game without having to pay one player $100 million over four years. And so it's hilarious from a Knicks. I'm a quasi-Knicks fan. Like I like when the Knicks are good because it's just interesting. But it's also hilarious to see them fall apart year after year. And as the resident Julius Randle believer on this podcast, I just think it's going to be hilarious when Brunson is expecting to be the lead guard and has to deal with Randle thinking he's a point forward for, for 50 possessions a night. But the Knicks seem to be locking themselves into a team that's going to be as good as five to eighth in the East. I mean, you pay $100 million to Brunson. R.J. Barrett's going to be coming up, and he's going to get a really healthy rookie extension. You already extended Julius Randle. Mitchell Robinson's coming up as well. And then you're going to give $100 million to a guy that, outside of that Utah Jazz series, looked like his regular season self, where he averaged 16 to 18 points per game. Which he's and a great – he's a good player. Like, yeah, he's a good you player. Know, he's a good player, but he's it's not a $100 he's million dollar player. And that's another thing is how much is his efficiency going to be hurt without having an all-world player in the backcourt next to him? Because we know how much gravity Luka draws when you know he attacks the rim, the defense collapses, and Brunson has either a lot of open mid-ranges or can take advantage of a mismatch and, and things like that. And so it, in my mind for the Dallas Mavericks to bring this back home, it's a bit of a reprieve in my, in my eyes where – I would be worried about, okay, you lock into Brunson at $25 million a year. Maybe you front load it, right? So you're paying him more in the first two years of the deal as opposed to the last two years. But if Brunson is, you know, a 16-point-per-game player at a, you know, 20, 20 to $25 million range, I don't know what team is backing up the Brinks trucks for that that is actually trying to contend. And again, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you can piece together 16 points per game. We don't know what version of Tim Hardaway Jr. we're getting back. And then the Mavs also got a guy that averaged like 20 and 10 last season, like a week and a half ago. And so am I distraught? I think the honestly, the Mavs somewhat dodged a bullet from locking themselves into a high tax bill and then getting a, a player back that is just more of the same and redundant in a way. And Yes, Spencer Dinwiddie's a bit of feast or famine, but he, he can have his nights too, the same way Brunson could have his nights. And, and so those are, that's kind of my thought process on that, if that made any sense. Let me, it's fun. Let me, let me just say this. I, I think, can he do it without Luka? Yes, he can. I mean, he's shown it. Uh, he, he's efficient without Luka. He's efficient with Luka. That's who he is. Um, that's who Jalen Brunson is. He's Mr. Efficiency. But I think we're looking at the 16 points, uh, you know, just looking at stats is, is because he does play with Luca. Without Luca, he's averaging 20, 20 and seven. With Luca's like, what, 16 and four? But the thing is, when you have a guy like Jalen, I think 
he's more valuable to the Knicks. And, and I think that's they rather have that to be in the running for playoffs every single year, post to like this year, not even making the playoffs. And the Mavericks, I think it's come to a point where you look at Christian Woods come in, you got THJ coming back, you got Spencer, and you got potentially other free agency signings. And then you have a top five player in Luca. So I think when you have the cards in play, obviously with Jalen Brunson back, you have what maybe a top five, top six team in the NBA. I think right now they're like top eight team in the NBA. Um, but I think I think they'll I think they'll be fine. And to be honest, wherever Jalen goes, I'm happy for him. Get your yeah. money. I mean, he's he was what ranked thirteenth highest paid on the Mavs, and he was like three hundred something in the whole entire NBA. And he's he's showing it that he can perform on his own. And Ian, you said outside the Jazz series, um, well, that was the only series that Luca missed. I mean, he missed half of those games and he performed. So I mean, what you see is I think you'll get, and I think the Knicks really want it. Yeah, and it's, you know, he 100% landed. He deserves it, right? If he wants to go and play for his, you know, play for Tibbs and, and his dad and, and Leon Rose, you know, more power to him. I, I heard an interesting quote um, earlier today. I can't remember where I heard it from, um, but it was some NBA writer for The Athletic. But they said, are the Mavericks a Western Conference? Like, are, are they a conference finals team or a team that made the conference finals? And that And it kind of got me thinking, right? I was like, hmm. That's a good point, right? Like this isn't a conference finals roster by, you know, I don't think many people had us going past, you know, beating Phoenix, you know, help some people didn't have us beating Utah, but we're a team that made the conference finals with, with Jalen Brunson. I mean, if we retain Jalen Brunson, does it make us better? Does it make us worse? I mean, we've got replacements like wood coming in. You've got, you know, Tim Hardaway jr. Is going to be back another year in the system for Spencer Dinwiddie, who knows who else the Mavericks go out and sign. Um, there's still room for, you know, to kind of maneuver and replace that, that production, right? There's not going to be very many games where Luca misses where Brunson or any lead guard, you know, is going to have the chance to kind of run the show, uh, as Brunson did, you know, those first couple of games in Utah. So for the Mavericks, not only do you, you know, have you basically replaced this production already? Um, you know, I think Nico Harrison and the Mavs knew this a few weeks ago, which is why the Christian Wood trade happened, right? Going out and getting a guy like that who, it averaged 20 and 10 last year, but like Ian said, the Mavericks now, most of their contracts that are on the books aside from Luca are within the next two years are going to be off their books. So they've got a lot of movable pieces now that they can really use to kind of, you know, kind of wrangle up salary and, 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 you know, match numbers. If there's a disgruntled star that wants to get moved, you know, I know we, we always talk about what second star can we pair with Luca and it doesn't necessarily have to be a guy like, Bradley Beal or anything, but if any anybody comes along, the Mavericks are going to have a lot of assets. They're going to have access to their first round picks again. So they're positioning themselves, you know, for for the next few years to really, really rebuild this roster. Luca's only twenty three. We always forget that. Like we we're sitting here as if like Luca's going to walk next year. No, he's under contract five more years. You know, he's only twenty three years old. We've got time. This is Nico's first real kind of full off season of drafting and, and free agency. And so let's see, let's see what he can do. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree from, from the, from the jump about you got to get, and as, as people that analyze the game and analyze this team, we kind of get locked into prisoner of the moment items where the reality for us is that we're thinking about next season. GMs are not only thinking about next season, but they're thinking about 2025, you know, in 2026. And how can you gauge what's going to happen then? And how do you plan for that? And kind of organizing your books for the year you want to actually make the splash in the market. I mean, it's not like 2K, you know, how in 2K, everyone becomes a GM, Mm -hmm. trades away everybody and just signs the best player year one. Real life doesn't work like that. And we can get locked into how much better or worse are the Mavs going to be without Brunson. But I think a part of this is, you know, maybe you let Brunson walk, you take a step back in quotations um, to some degree, but it's that you have more flexibility down the road to get a player, you know, is actually going to put you over the top versus a guy that's like, okay, if we get the same production for, from Brunson at a hundred million dollars for the next four years, we're going to be in an okay place. And we also have to remember that regardless of if Brunson stays or if Brunson goes and the price tag is $100 million, every time we think these contracts are untradeable, they somehow get traded. Mm-hmm. If you can move Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul's deal, if Brunson doesn't pan out, there's a way you can move him for something. And, and either way, like for if you're the Knicks, I think that's what they're thinking. Because at 25 per million, that's in a certain wheel range that is decently movable and you could get a decent package back depending on how he plays if things don't work out there. And if you're Dallas, Nico's already shown that he's of the mind of creating flexibility with this roster and not locking himself into long-term deals that don't give you the returns. And by the time the Mavericks have all these contracts off their book, other uh, off their books, other than Luca, I'm pretty sure is when the new meteorites deal is going to hit the NBA. And there's going to be a significant increase in salary cap. At that point, we're talking, you know, 25, 30 million dollars. And the way that the the sheet looks now, the Mavericks are going to have a lot of room to go out and make some moves in 2024, 2025, when those when that new deal hits and the salary cap jumps up. By the reports that Jalen is going to be leaning towards going northeast, but nothing's official. Nothing's official yet until that signature is on. The dotted line. So never forget when Dre DeAndre Jordan and the Clippers teammates organized a heist. There's also there's also reports now apparently that the Mavericks are willing to offer five years. At first they were at four for ninety, and now I'm seeing on on Twitter again. I don't know who the reporters are, you know, verified, unverified, but it you know there's stuff floating out there that Mavericks are ready to prep a five year offer. I don't know. It, It sounds like. To me, if I, I think the Mavericks have made up their mind, if they know Brunson's leaving, I don't think this is a like Ian said a DeAndre Jordan situation where Cuban's calling him and driving around town trying to trying to get him to sign. Yeah, I, I if, just everybody just calm down. It, uh, it starts in a few days, and it, this will all be over with. So, can, can I make one more point, Landon? No, you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up? The it's funny because you look back to. The, some of the times where the Mavericks, you know, were all in on a guy and didn't get him. And we were so upset at Mark Cuban or not. We, but Mavs Twitter was so upset at Mark Cuban and, and you know, crushing him. That's has seemed to work out. You know, the DeAndre Jordan deal. Thank you. know, we're glad we didn't get him. Kemba Walker, a prime example of a guy that 
you know, was there for the Mavericks by all accounts was ready to sign. And then Boston swoop, you know, swooped in and took him and that looked to be a bad deal, you know, didn't work out for them. So who knows? Maybe this, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. To finalize this era of Jalen Brunson, if this happens to wrap up this episode, Ian and Sean of Oz, I'll ask y'all each Ian. If Jalen leaves, what's the next step for the Mavericks? I think the next step for the Mavericks is filling out the rest of the roster with guys that you can piece together his production. And you don't link, you don't sign anyone to a long-term deal this summer. This free agency class isn't the best anyway. And you kind of just roll it over and, and you retain that flexibility and try to make a move at next year's deadline or next year's free agency. That, that would, that's what makes the most sense to me. You've been hanging around Nico a lot. Flexibility, <laughs> flexibility, flexibility. That's his favorite word. Sean of Oz, if Jalen leaves, what's the next step? I 100% agree with Ian. That was completely spot on. Flexibility, folks. Fill out the roster. We'll see y'all next week. We'll have some big news. Will Jalen be here or will he not? That is the question. Bye.